Morning, y'all. So just to give you a quick update on things that are happening at Jacksonville State, um, this has been, you know, like, like Grant said, it's, it's scary to be going off to something else. I told somebody, I can't remember who I was talking to about it, but it feels a little bit like, you know, raising your kid and then sending them off. And so it's like, all right, we've been reaching and equipping Let's see how well we've equipped, you know, like let's just kind of see. And it has been incredibly encouraging to see students just, uh, me and Elizabeth were talking about it the other day, and they were sad when we told them, but not long into their sadness, they switched into, all right, now what, what do we need to do? Like, what, what do we do now? And they have, I mean, already we've had to kind of step back in certain ways as we're preparing to move and all the different things. And, uh, and they have taken over it. Things have, things have happened without us. Things are, new things are planned. And uh, this past Tuesday, new people were there. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's so encouraging to see not only that we're kind of surviving, but that because students have taken ownership of the ministry, because they've really, really caught the vision and gotten on board, that we've actually seen it grow in certain ways, which is so incredibly encouraging. Um, just we, We've really focused on our leadership team uh, this semester, been focusing on uh, meetings with them and seeing how they're doing and seeing how I can help them as they're, as they're transitioning into this time where they're going to be leading the, the, the ministry for semester and reminding them like this is the point y'all were going to leave RUF one day and the purpose of RUF is when you leave RUF you go out and you find a local church and you get plugged in there and you already have been equipped to know how to lead small groups to welcome people to organize different things in the church like that's the point of it it's just a little bit different this time because I'm the one who's leaving, Elizabeth is the one who's leaving, and now y'all are taking things over. So um, it, it's been just incredibly encouraging uh, to see the ways that they have they have stepped up and they've done that. So um, as you would imagine, this season we are uh, feeling like we're kind of at the edges of life a little bit. This morning as we were getting the kids ready and I'm getting ready to preach and everything, we're also getting our house ready because we're having an open house this afternoon and we're hoping that uh, people will come and buy it. And I've talked to a lot of contractors and inspectory people and I've spent a lot more time underneath my house than I've wanted to in the past several days you know we're just and then we're we're thinking about okay who is going to buy this house we have no idea how much money are we going to make on this house we have no idea how much money will be we be able to put on a new one where are we going to live in the meantime what is it going to look like for our kids to get plugged into this new place how am I going to interact with the students the leaders the staff that's up there like all these different questions that we have what's it going to be like to live in a different state 
I, I've never lived outside of Alabama. Now, South Carolina is, is not exactly another country, you know, but it's pretty similar in a lot of ways. But it's, it's going to be a lot of changes, right? And we feel like there, just as we're trying to wrap up a ministry well, as we're trying to begin a new ministry, as we're trying to care well for our family, it feels like we don't have enough time. We don't have enough energy, that we can't make plans, that we don't know what the future holds, that there's just so many unknowns we feel like we're being pushed to the edges of life a little bit. And, and just in thinking about this community, the, the faith prayers, and thinking of, you know, looking through that list of, of prayer requests and things like that, there's all kinds of people who are in the same place. People who are, you know, students who are graduating. People with new jobs, people engaged in marriage and, and family growing and adding new babies. I mean, those kinds of things, as exciting as they are, they feel like they push you to the edges of life. And sometimes even more so in the hard things in life that we experience. So as we think about you know, personal health and, and surgeries and diagnoses and these kinds of things that you don't know what it's going to, what the treatment is going to look like. You don't know how you're going, your body is going to handle things. You're, you're dealing with physical limitations on a day-to-day basis. Thinking about your family, some of you are concerned about wayward children. Some of you are concerned about aging parents. Some of you are dealing with the loss of loved ones. Some of you have financial concerns. You look at your bank account and you just kind of wonder, like, how are we going to make it? We're getting to a pretty expensive part of the year. And you just kind of wonder. We're always pushed out to the edges of life. And we're wrapping up the book of Philippians this Tuesday in our large group. Paul is writing this letter from the edges of life. Things that we cannot understand. Like we can't even imagine what he's dealing with. He's writing this letter from a Roman jail cell. He is preparing to testify before the emperor of Rome, the most powerful person on the planet, and he is facing almost certain death. And he's writing to a community of Philippians. These Philippians are in this new religious sect of Jewish faith, you know, this, this relatively new religion. A lot of these are Gentiles, and so they're dropping into this Jewish faith and trying to understand the Old Testament. You've read the Old Testament, right? It's a little bit hard to understand. And we've got study Bibles and commentaries and things like that. They didn't have anything like that. Trying to figure out this weird landscape. They're being told by Jews who reject Jesus as the Messiah, like, y'all are doing it all wrong you don't have this faith, right? And they're doubting themselves, you know. The apostle who's supposed to be leading them and guiding them, he's in prison. He's not here. And, and not only that, but we know that the Philippians are really, really impoverished community. They are poor. We see that from other passages in Scripture. And, and they are, like many people during this time, they're living under the shadow of the Roman Empire. They are at the edges of life. But the first word in this passage, a word that has been mentioned 11 times 
in this letter up to this point is rejoice. Paul says, I rejoiced. Paul living on the edges of life, talking to people who are on the edges of life, is saying he rejoices, is calling them to to rejoice because he understands something about our lives. He says that God leads us to the edges of life so that we can find contentment in our calling, so that we can bless and be blessed by the people of God, and so that we can find all of our sufficiency, all of our provision in God alone. And those are the things we're going to look at this morning. So I'm going to read this passage for us. I'll pray, and then we'll jump right in. So, Philippians 4, starting in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I speak of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help once for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for another opportunity gathered together to sing your praises, to confess our sins, be reminded of our failures, be reminded even more so of your grace and your forgiveness. To come to your word needy and looking for guidance and to know that we will find it. And not only that we will find wisdom to navigate life, but even more so that we will find Jesus. That we will be connected to him, that we will depend on him more deeply. I pray that you would do that this morning. Um, Guide us into your truth by your Holy Spirit. Impress it deep on our hearts so that in whatever situations we, we face in life right now, we are dependent on you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Warren Buffett is a person who has become kind of synonymous with wealth. I mean, you think of Warren Buffett and he is... Oh yeah, he's that rich guy, right? I looked up last night, may have changed today, I don't know, is, the stock market is not uh, open, but he has a net worth of around $118 billion. But Warren Buffett also has a reputation of being meticulously 
frugal. Warren Buffett is cheap, like real cheap. Um, he still lives in the same five-bedroom home uh, in Omaha, Nebraska that he purchased in 1957 for $31,000. He uh, gets breakfast from McDonald's every morning, a cheap breakfast from McDonald's. He drives himself in a used car. He loves buying used cars, not very frequently. I mean, he buy, he uses cars for a long time, and he usually buys cars that are like damaged by hail or something like that, so they're they're discounted. When he buys these breakfasts from McDonald's, he uses coupons to get them. I mean, he he does not spend any more money than he absolutely has to. And up until recently, it is reported that he had a flip phone. I think he's upgraded to a smartphone at this point, but he had a flip phone for a long, long time. We are fascinated by that. We're fascinated by people who seem unaffected by incredible wealth. You know, people who have had huge success... But they still remain more or less the same, living on our level. They don't go and buy these huge mansions and have this, this posse and bodyguards and all these things that, that they are they're relatively normal people. Like that's the best compliment you can give a celebrity. If you ever meet a, a famous person, you come away and you go, that's so cool. He was like a normal guy, you know. It's insulting if people say it to me after they meet me. It's like, he's just kind of a normal guy, right? But if you see a celebrity, like that's really cool. They, they, it's just like a normal guy. So down to earth. Somebody who is unaffected by success. What's even more impressive in some ways is people who are unaffected by failure. When people are rejected, when people are ignored, and they just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, you know, whatever. And, and Paul was this way in a lot of ways. Um, if you look at, uh, at verse 10, starting at verse 10, Paul has gotten this gift from the Philippians. And he is in great need. Once again, he's in a Roman jail cell. He has no human rights. He's not provided for. He is dependent on their generosity. And even though he receives this gift from them, he doesn't mention anything about it until the very end of this letter. And if there are any English teachers, if you read through this, it's a really bad thank you note. Like, it's really terrible. He starts off by saying, hey, I'm glad that you care about me again. You know, that's kind of how he starts off. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now, at length, you've re revived your concern for me. And he's, he's like, well, it was not your fault. You, know, you didn't really have an opportunity. We don't know what that means. Does it mean that they didn't have enough money? Does it mean that they couldn't get that, that gift to him in some way? But they had no opportunity to give to him. And then he says, not that I speak of being in, in need. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He's like, I don't need anything from you. You know, I don't, I don't need anything from you guys at all. Uh, I know how to be brought low. I know to, how to abound. He actually talks about even though he's in need, he's like, and there have been plenty of times where I've had more than enough. He, he ta he, he's not writing a very good thank you note. He's like, thanks for finally sending me something. I actually don't really need it that much. You know, he's just unaffected by success or failure. 
He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So how, what is that secret? What is the secret that he has to navigate whatever situation he is in life? And he says, I've learned how to be content. That word content is actually, could also be translated like self-satisfied or self-sufficient. And, and in the world at that time, in kind of Greek philosophy, that was a very, very noble thing to attain to for the Stoics. Stoic philosophy is like, oh, you know, you dis- detach yourselves from the, the desires of the world. You detach yourselves from loving things. You kind of shrug your shoulders. You know, you're the cool, older high school kid who's smoking cigarettes out back and just shrugs your shoulders and goes, I got an F on my report card. I don't even care. You know, that kind of thing. You know, that you detach yourselves and you just don't care about it. And that, if you do that, then you're content. You're self-sufficient. You're self-satisfied. Or, or maybe, you know, we were talking about pushing yourself to the edges of life. We're fascinated by athletes who do that. Who push themselves to the very limit of what, what their bodies can do. I was thinking about this, and, if, and there's this documentary called Free Solo, which is about this guy who rock climbs El Capitan, which is like 3,200 feet up of sheer granite. And he does it free which means he doesn't have any lines connecting him to anything. And he does it solo, which means he does it all alone. He has no buddies. And he does this, and he says in the trailer for this, that I won't be content until I do it. I want to do it to push myself to see, to be self-satisfied and see that I can handle it. And that's kind of how we think of these things. Is either I detach myself and I don't need anybody else and I'm self-satisfied. Or I challenge myself and I see that I can do it and I'm, I'm just the best. That's not what Paul is talking about at all. What is the secret that he points to? Verse 13, a very familiar verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Another way to say it is, I am strong in any situation because of the one who gives me strength. That Paul is not self-sufficient. That he is God-sufficient. That he is dependent on God. That he knows in whatever situation he faces that God is taking care of him. That God is providing for him. Um... What, is, what does that look like for us on a day-to-day basis? I was thinking about with us and the challenges that we face and maybe thinking about other things that I've been through and thinking about things that y'all are facing. One of the things that we can do is to step back and say, God has me in this situation. Like Paul actually says that earlier in the book of Philippians. He says, It has been granted to you, what? Two things. That you should not only believe in Jesus. It's like, okay, that's one gift I get is to believe in Jesus. And it says, but also to suffer for his sake. 
that the things that you face, the things that you encounter in life, then you look at those things and you say, God has me here. And God has me here not like a free solo thing to see if I can handle it and see how strong I am and everything like that. He has, it, has me here as an invitation for me to deepen in my trust in Him. To deepen in my dependence on Him. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. That He is the one who gives me strength. That I understand that more and more deeply as I encounter good things, hard things, things that push me to the edges of life where I don't have all the answers and things feel a little bit out of control. That I depend on Him more. And that's how Paul starts his thank you note. He says, hey, I'm content. We have, I have contentment in the calling that God has placed on my life to be in this jail at this time bearing testimony to the gospel in front of this great audience. And I know it'll cost me my life, but I trust the one who gives me strength. That's a really easy thing to say from a pulpit. And it's a really hard thing to put into practice on Monday morning. Right? But it's something that we grow in and depend on. And, and God is leading us into these, these diff- different situations in our lives as an invitation to come further in relationship with Him. So the first thing that we learn at the edges of life that gives us joy is that we find contentment in His calling. The second thing is that we uh, bless and are blessed by the people of God. Paul says all of this stuff. says, hey, I don't need anything from you. I know what it is to, to have a lot and I know what it is to have a little. In any circumstance I'm in, I've learned the secret. The secret is depend, to depend on Jesus, to know that He is the one who gives me strength. And then I love this verse. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. As I've thought about preaching this sermon to faith, and as I've thought about this passage and the situation that we're in right now in our lives, this is a big part of what I feel is thankfulness. Thankfulness that you shared, fellowshiped with us in our trouble. It takes me all the way back to uh, April 2017 when we were making our first visit to Calhoun County to, to see students and everything like that. Um, we have three kids at the time. I think Naomi is going to be about Sam's age. And the twins are closer to like 15 months old. 15, 18 months old, somewhere in there. Um, it's a rainy day, of course. We're coming down to Hope to, uh, I'm going to lead, teach Sunday school, then I'm going to preach a sermon, we're going to have a lunch afterwards, we're going to meet all the people in the church, and we're going to meet a bunch of the students. Uh, we're driving down from Fort Payne, which is a little over an hour away, and we go the back way. So just like uh, off the mountain and through center and everything like that. And it's a little bit windier. And Naomi starts to get a little carsick. Um, and, you know, 
because we're us, we're running late already, and we're kind of scrambling down, and it's like, okay, we really have to pull over to let her rest for a second. So we pull over just on like this gravel driveway somewhere, and we get out and let her walk around, and then it's like, all right, we, we really got to go. So we throw her back in. We're all kind of wet from being out in the rain. We get back on the road, and we're driving down. We finally get to Hope, and uh, we get there. And it's like right in the nick of time. I'm like grabbing up all my stuff, trying to unbuckle kids, trying to get into the church. Uh, Naomi goes into Courtney's lap and she just kind of looks at her and she has the face, you know the face, and just unloads all over Courtney. And Courtney, because she's a good mother, she has a change of clothes for Naomi. And I don't think Naomi even really needed the change of clothes, you know? Um, so Naomi gets, gets out of the car. I'm like trying to take kids in. I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't know. I, can't, I don't think I can help. And so Courtney goes with Ann Mays, uh, Pastor Steve's wife. They go to, they go to Walmart and, and Courtney buys a dress and just puts it on in the bathroom. And she's like trying to wash her shirt and hold it under the hand dryer, you know? And it's just like, uh, and, and I'm there like wondering, are they okay but I have to do this stuff you know and and it was funny as we reflected on it afterwards it's like well Calhoun County just got to experience the Hightower family circus you know it's like we're here you know this is who we are get used to it you know um and and it was very kind for them to share our trouble and as we think about the things that Grant mentioned that we experienced in our time here, getting hit by a tornado, having COVID happen, you know, just, and, and on top of that, all of the little things as well, we know that we've had people sharing in our relatively little trouble, but we know that we have had people with us. We know that we have had people praying for us. We've had people be generous to us. We've had people encourage us. I mean, it is as frustrating as it is to have to raise your own salary. It is so encouraging to be able to get uh, emails and, and responses to newsletters. And, hey, we're praying for you. And, hey, we know what's going on with you. It was kind of you. It has been kind of you for this past six and a half years to share our trouble. We're very, very thankful uh, for y'all. And, and it's a beautiful thing here, what Paul talks about. He says, it was kind of you for, to share your trouble. You Philippians know yourselves that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Faith was one of the first churches to sign on and be like, we're about RUFJSU. We're here, we're committed, we're going to, to partner with you no matter what. We believe in this, we're going to be here. You've been here since, since Grant has been here, you've been something that we can depend on. It says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. God provides for us, this is a beautiful thing. God provides for us, not by raining down manna from heaven. He doesn't really do that often. He provides us for us through His people. Which is a lot less miraculous, but it's also a lot more beautiful. Because we build relationship. 
And we get to experience one another. And instead of me just looking at numbers, I can know the people who are providing for us and who are caring for us and who are supporting us, who are praying, praying for us. And that's a benefit for the givers as well. Look in verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. That this is an investment. An investment in gospel ministry is an investment that pays off so much more than anything else that we could imagine. Think about the years that faith has been here investing in RUF. And I know so many of the students. Y'all don't, y'all don't know the students in the same way, obviously, that I do or that Grant does. But I know that there are students who believe in Jesus that didn't believe in Jesus because of y'all. Because of your partnership, because of your support. I know that there are students who are, are plugged into churches and who are, who are serving in churches, who are raising children in, in the discipline and admonition of the Lord because of faith. And they are going to have an impact on other people. That it is a fruit that increases more and more. Something that you will maybe never even catch a glimpse of in this life. But one day you will be able to see the fruit of the investments that you've made for years. That's been one of the really encouraging things. As sad as it is to leave a place, it also gives opportunity for me to reflect back on the people in the ministry. It gives an opportunity for students to reflect back on the impact that the ministry has had. And there have been a lot of tearful conversations of sharing what students mean to us and what RUF has meant to students. And the ways that it has changed the trajectory of their lives, the ways that they've built friendships that will last for the rest of their lives, and even more so, the ways that they understand the gospel have been impacted by the gospel and have a a stability, an anchor to navigate all of life's storms. Like we read in the the call to worship that we navigate all of life's storms because of our dependence on God. It's been a beautiful, wonderful thing. And what else is, how else does Paul describe this gift, this partnership with them? He says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied I feel that. And, he, and then he talks about the gifts as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That God sees the investment of the Philippians and God is pleased. That God rejoices. That God smiles over us. You know, one of the One of the things that I've been thinking a lot about lately, and one of the things that you see often in the Old Testament, it's kind of based on the Aaronic uh, benediction. Y'all know this. The the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his, his face upon you and be gracious to you. He lift up his countenance upon you, give you peace. Like a, a really good diagnostic question to ask students in one-on-ones is, hey, when you, when you imagine like Jesus looking at you, what expression does he have on his face? 
Like that's a really profound question. When you imagine Jesus thinking of you, what expression does he have on his face? Is he kind of like, there's some pity there, and I feel a little bit bad for you, or maybe I'm kind of mildly disappointed, or maybe I'm more than mildly disappointed, you know, or maybe, maybe he just feels distant, you don't know where, where he is. The way that salvation is described in the Old Testament, the way that salvation is even described in the New Testament, is that when God looks at you, He has a huge smile on His face. That He is pleased. That He rejoices. Zephaniah 3 says He rejoices over you with loud singing. If you've ever seen a parent interact with a little infant, it's that kind of relationship. The infant has done nothing except for create chaos and add a level of stress and difficulty to life. That's us, right? And yet the parent looks with just such joy and overflowing love. Man, how different would I go through life, would I feel at the edges of life if I was anchored in that picture of seeing God with a full smile, not able to contain himself because of his love for me. So much of the time when I get to the edges of life, I'm like, where are you, God? Do you care about me anymore? And God says, more than you could ever imagine. More than you could ever imagine. That's the gift that the Philippians give. We would be unimpressed with their gift, I bet. Their poor little ancient Near Eastern church doesn't have much to offer to God. He rejoices over it. He is so pleased. He's so proud. He's so happy. That's how he looks at faith. This little church in Anison, Alabama, he looks at y'all. He is so pleased. He's so happy. He sees the impact that y'all have had for generations to come. He sees the lives that have been changed through your faithfulness to the gospel. So at the edges of life, we find contentment in our calling. We are blessed and we bless as the people of God. And then lastly, we trust God for his provision. Paul ends with this, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I love this verse. This verse pops up a lot of times in newsletters that I send out. Um, And it's really easy to take this verse out of context and abuse it in different ways. That God is going to supply my every need. That means he wants me to be healthy and happy, to have all these riches, to have all these things supplied for me. So how do we we avoid, how do we read this verse rightly? Uh, And I think that we see it within this verse. Um, First, Paul says, my God will supply every need. Who is Paul's God? Let's not forget 
again, Paul is writing this from prison. He's in jail, you know. He, if, if I'm looking to Paul's God, is a God who is not going to give me, you know, a nice private jet to fly back and forth between Clemson and Birmingham, right? It is a God who is going to provide what I need as he deepens me in dependence on him. If you know anything about Paul's life and the things that he experienced, he was not comfortable. He was probably not comfortable most of his life. But he was content. You know, we, we were uh, actually this past Friday in God's small group, God's Bible study, we were talking about the difference between complacency and contentment. And complacency is about comfort and it's about me and it's about my satisfaction. And contentment is Philippians 4.13 depending on Jesus. Knowing that I don't have it within myself but that God is going to supply my need. So it's Paul's God. The God that Paul worshipped and loved and was willing to give everything for. To go into the hardest places. That that's the God that's going to supply. And what does he supply? My God will supply every need of yours. Not every desire. And that's actually such a good thing. I've had so many desires. That I am so thankful. Looking back. That God did not supply for me. My desires are so backwards. Right? My desires are so sinful. And selfish. And often what God has in store is so much better than anything I could have come up with on my own. My desires fluctuate up and down and everything. It's like a little kid, you know, we've got little kids, so this is easy for me to think about. It's like, all right, you have five dollars to go to the store. I would say one dollar, but not even Dollar Tree is one dollar anymore, right? You have five dollars to go to a store and you can get whatever you want. And they get the worst, junkiest piece of toy that they can find. And they get home and it breaks immediately. Kids are not good at figuring out what is good for them. We're not good at figuring out what is good for us. But God is. And he says he'll supply every need that we have. Romans 8.32 is another beautiful passage that Paul wrote. He who did not spare his own son... That gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things. All things that we need. He will supply our needs for us. My God will supply every need of yours according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That last phrase, in Christ Jesus, shapes how we view this supplication. God's supplying of our of our needs. That ultimately, what God wants to do with the gifts that He gives us in life is to point us to Jesus. It's to draw us deeper in dependence on Him, it's to make us love Him more, it's to rejoice more and more in Jesus. He doesn't want to give us things that draw us away. But he wants to give us things that point us to Jesus, that point us to God and God's faithful provision. And that's why verse 20 lands here. Paul doesn't say, 
you know, like a good thank you note. Thank you for your gift that you gave me. This is the way that I used it. And so I want to repeat that I am thankful to you for this. Paul doesn't do that at all. He ends with, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. He, know, he knows who's the real one who's supplying everything. He knows the real source of every good and perfect gift. And that is God. And he praises God for the supply, the ways that he has never run out. You know? I think about, the, it was a passage in Deuteronomy that says, you know, 40 years you were wandering around in the wilderness and the soles of your shoes never wore out. And you always had food and you always had water. Like that's the kind of provision. I took care of you. Remember this. Now we're in November and it's time to be thankful for things and to keep Thanksgiving journals and, you know, all those kinds of things. And all of it is from God. Every good thing that you've ever experienced, everything that you're so thankful for is a gift from God. And ultimately, He should be the one that you praise, that we rejoice in Him. And of course, we know that the, the way that God has provided for us most is in Christ Jesus Himself. Who, though we were helpless, though we were sinful, though we were enemies, God gave us His Son, Romans 8.32. He did not spare His own Son, but freely gave Him up for us. That He is the one that we can rejoice in. He is the one that we want to point others to. He is the, the reason that we're willing to go to the edges of life because we know that we can know Him more in venturing out where He leads us. And so I pray that all of us who feel like we're on the edges, all of us who feel like we have great struggles and great uncertainty and things that we don't know, that it would point us more and more to Jesus to know, hey, I don't know the future, but I know the one who holds the future. I can rest in that. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, thank you so much for your provision for us. And not and and what a beautiful thing that you don't just like I don't just open my mailbox and find a stack of money. You know? I don't just uh, open my pantry and find it full of food. It's not just some miraculous disembodied provision. But it is your people. That, that they're people who I can look to and think of and know who they are and know their story. That those, that's the way that you've ordained to provide for us. It's through one another. Help us to grow in our dependence on you. And as we do that, in doing that, that we would grow in our dependence on one another. That we would rely on each other to get us through these hard and sometimes good circumstances that push us out to the edges of life. That we would be able to rejoice in our community, rejoice in our friendship, 
and rejoice in you who brought us all together in your sovereignty by your gospel. I thank you for this place. I thank you for this time that we've had here and for these relationships that we've developed. And I thank you for the fruit of years of, of generosity that increases to the credit of this place, of this community. The, sacri- the sacrifices that they made that are pleasing to you. Let them know how pleased you are with them. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.